Well, this was quite a victory. Shock to some in Brazil for Jair Bolsonaro. He defeated the socialist candidate in the election there, the runoff. Just the latest in a wave of what you would describe as anti-establishment figures winning victories, starting probably with Brexit 2016 and the election here in the United States of of Donald Trump. And speaking of the president, he did reach out to Bolsonaro, and this is a tweet, had a very good conversation with the newly elected president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, who won his race by a substantial margin. We agreed Brazil and the United States will work closely together on trade military and everything else. Excellent call. Wished him congrats. Welcome back to Banter, the official policy podcast of the American Enterprise Institute. I'm Matt Winesett. And I'm Max Frost. And today we are joined by Ryan Berg. He's a research fellow here at AEI, where he studies Latin American foreign policy and development, as well as organized crime and narco-trafficking. Before AEI, he earned a PhD from Oxford and was a Fulbright Scholar in Brazil. We had a great conversation with Ryan, and we talked a lot about Brazil's new president, Bolsonaro, who's currently on a visit to the U.S., um, we also talked about Brazil, the challenges facing Brazil today, high, violent, high rates of violent crime, a stagnating economy, and rampant corruption. And we start off with a nice overview of recent Brazilian history and politics. So if, like us, you also don't know a ton about recent Brazilian history, don't worry, we have you covered. So without further ado, here's Ryan Berg. Ryan, hello, and thank you for coming on Banter. It's a delight to be here. Thanks for having me. I know Max and I and probably most of our audience are not super well-versed in Brazil's history. So could you, to start, just maybe give us a brief overview of Brazilian history and politics? Sure. I think with respect to this podcast, we should start um, in the more recent past. Maybe we can start in 2014 when there was a huge uh, corruption scandal that erupted in in Brazil called Lava Jato, Operação Lava Jato, which is uh, Operation Car Wash, was the nickname given to the probe. And um, it started actually with a basic um, money laundering case that ended up expanding into a wide, wide network that implicated upwards of 200 politicians in Brazil. And funny enough, I was actually um, in Brasilia not too long ago, and I, I bought some uh, food or drink, whatever it was, at a, at a local gas station. And a friend of mine said, you know, that's the gas station that uh, started the whole Lava Jato scandal. Huh. What was the scandal? And, so the, the, the scandal started with a basic money laundering scheme at this particular gas station, which, which just happens to be right off one of the main avenues in Brasilia. Just like Breaking Bad. Just a, a very basic run-of-the-mill type of, type of crime that ended up expanding into a web that many Brazilians couldn't even imagine. Um, and like I said, it's implicated upwards of, t- of 200 politicians. There's 232 politicians who have currently been um, investigated. And it goes all the way up the ladder. You've got current, uh, you've got former president uh, Luis Inácio Lula da Silva currently sitting in jail in Curitiba in the south of Brazil because he was also ensnared in this um, in this corruption scandal. So that sets the stage for what we're going to talk about in this in this podcast, which is the election of Jair Bolsonaro, the current president of Brazil. So that starts the upheaval. Uh, then, in late 2016, after a series of protests over the president at the time, Juma Rousseff 
she's actually impeached um, through a, through a rather sort of palace coup type of process, where the vice president uh, Michel Temer actually steps in to be the, the acting president for the last year and a half of her mandate. She was impeached on a pretty minor technicality, something that um, other Brazilian presidents have have violated uh, to a much greater extent. But her support was flagging. You know, people were looking for an excuse to get rid of her, and and she was she was um, ousted on the technicality of, of using funds, I believe, from, from state uh, enterprises to sort of bolster her budget. So basically her, her budget uh, deficits didn't look as deep as they actually were because she was sort of siphoning some of that money uh, away. Like I said, it's not something that other Brazilian presidents haven't done. It just happened to, uh, to get her in this particular instance. So you've got the combination of a massive corruption probe, which is still ongoing, and uh, the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff, and you've got a lot of anger and anti-establishment uh, feeling and sentiment within the Brazilian public. Um, the word of the of the most recent election in Brazilian Portuguese was actually "haiva," which means rage. Um, and so there was just a massive anti-establishment push, and out of that you get uh, a president like Jair Bolsonaro. I mean, in a nutshell, what is what are the main issues? In Brazil, what is I know they've been in a, they were in a recession for the long time, longest recession in Brazilian history, I believe. It's one of the most violent countries in the world, and everyone's always talked about it as you know a potential, you know a potential next China, a potential. I don't want to say India, but you know it uh, could be a superpower. They say it's the country of the future and always will be. Yeah. So <laughs> what you know what is the rot at the core of the Brazilian system that is causing this to happen? That's a good question. Uh, one of one of the one of the issues is is certainly the the proliferation of political parties within Brazil, which are very unregulated. When you have more than thirty political parties that hold power within the Brazilian Congress, it's very difficult to hold together a political coalition. And one of the previous scandals before Lava Jato was actually called Mensalão, which stands for Big Monthly Payment, and that took place under Lula. Uh, Lula da Silva, the immensely popular president previous to Dilma Rousseff. And it turned out that he was actually paying people a month, a big monthly salary um, in order to stay part of his political coalition. Because without that payment, uh, he thought that the political coalition would, would simply fragment and he wouldn't be able to have any sort of legislative success. So that's one thing. The second thing is that political campaigns are highly uh, deregulated in Brazil. There are multiple avenues for corruption. For example, there's a, a phenomenon called Caixa Dois, which means a, like a second campaign fund. Essentially, it's a, it's a slush fund for a lot of Brazilian politicians. This is dark money that comes into their campaigns um, in a completely unregulated manner with, uh, with obviously no uh, limits on contribution. Um, and the other thing is, you know, there's just incredibly powerful interests within Brazil. Um, and, and these interests, as we saw in the Lava Jato scandal, they span not just the country, but actually the continent. So one thing that Lava Jato did was break open corruption in all of South America. Uh, some of these same companies that have been implicated in corruption in Brazil have also been implicated in bribery scandals in Peru and in, uh, in, in, in Venezuela and in other places around the region. Is that the Ode Odebrecht? That's Odebrecht, yeah. Is all this, I mean, is this also a function of like cartels and drug money? Or is it, like, what is the source of this corruption here, really? 
organized crime is certainly an issue uh, within within Brazil, and and they have been a player within within Brazilian politics. Um, you always hear when certain presidents, uh, uh, when certain candidates rather are running for president, that uh, he or she has a certain connection with with uh, with the PCC, which is the Primeiro Comando da Capital, or the the CV, the Comando Vermelho, the uh, Sao Paulo and and Rio based gangs, respectively. Um, and so, you know, so organized crime definitely definitely plays an issue here. But you know, if I if I had to pin the blame on 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 one thing, um, it would be a, a, a political system with incentive structures that you know, are, are incredibly misaligned and and sort of breed this type of corruption. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So we'll get into talking more about Bolsonaro, the new president. But he so one of the knocks on him is he speaks kind of glowingly about they used to have a military dictatorship. Um, is that I mean, is that the root? Have they just not really transitioned in, into a full democracy because of the history with dictatorship or? What's the deal there? That's not true at all. Okay. Brazil Brazil uh, ended its military dictatorship in, in uh, 1985. It lasted from 64 to 85 um, and transitioned to, to full-blown democracy. The, the constitution that Brazil is currently operating under was written in 1988. And um, this idea that we're going to uh, revert back to a, to a military dictatorship is one that Bolsonaro has been been spinning in his in his campaign because security was such a big part of his platform, and it's sort of this apocryphal idea that under the dictatorship the cartels were controlled; they didn't have the same exact power that they have now. People were safe; they were able to walk on the streets without having to worry about their children or having their wallets getting st- uh, getting stolen or, or armed robberies or, or any of these types of things that currently plague Brazilian citizens in some of the major cities. Again, like I said, that's a completely apocryphal idea that he spun to to quite a great effect in the in the political campaign. So Brazil has a has a full democracy. It just had an election in October of last year, where Bolsonaro won by 10 million votes, and there wasn't a single credible claim of uh, campaign fraud or anything like that. So Brazil is a is a is a thriving democracy. It has robust institutions. Getting back to this issue of Lava Jato. Unlike some other countries in the region, it was able to prosecute corruption with some of its own domestic institutions, which is really saying something uh, for for the Brazilian judiciary. Talking a bit more about the election now, so kind of to put it in context, you have a completely you have a stagnating a stagnating economy, lots of violent crime, lots of corruption, and then you have Bolsonaro come along essentially, and then not from age, any major political party, right? Too, he's just he's he's an outsider, correct? Like, that's right. Uh, well. Or a he's military a, guy. He's an outsider in that people have heard of him only to the extent that he's said some stuff that's caught the attention of the public. But he, he's been in Congress for almost 30 years before he's elected president last year. So, so he has an outsider rhetoric and he has built, he has built this sort of cloak of outsider anti-establishmentness. But uh, but he's certainly a, a, a creature of, of the system. He's been a, a federal deputy from the state of Rio de Janeiro for almost 30 years before he runs for president. Yeah, but he was not part of the main center right party, correct? Is he was not. No, he was he was uh, a member of a number of parties, but most recently the, the PSL, the uh, the Liberal Social Party, which then uh, which, which preceded him, but then then he took over and uh, made into a more mainstream party. But like I said, he's been in politics for a long time. But no one's really paid attention to him. You can find plenty of uh, videos of him on YouTube, plenty of images of him on Google search where he's speaking to an empty chamber. Oh. Nobody's watching him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people now, I mean, in Western media, they 
worked it into, I don't know how accurate this representation is. They, some people call him the, quote, tropical Trump. Mm. Some people say he's, you know, foretelling a fascist turn in Brazilian politics, or at least a populist one. How accurate do you think that represents, like, is Western media getting him right, do you think? Well, I think that Western media has an interest in playing up this idea of a tropical Trump within the largest country in the in, in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I don't think it's entirely true that there are plenty of similarities between Donald Trump and Jair Bolsonaro. They have similar bases in the sense that, you know, the evangelical support that they both re- receive is very important. Brazil has something like 22% uh, evangelicals, the largest uh, growing evangelical population in the region. And so Bolsonaro draws a lot on that, as does Trump. He's similar in the sense that his 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 coterie of people is largely comprised of of family members, a la Jared and Ivanka. There's the you know the the main sons, uh, who are some of his senior advisors and also politicians themselves. But I think that a lot of the similarities stop there, um, and the media has an interest in sort of playing up this idea of the, of the tropical Trump because they have similar you know, mentalities and similar temperaments. But um, you know the the domestic. Uh, situations are are quite different. So he was outspoken against corruption during That's his right. campaign. Yeah, is he serious? Do people, I guess, in your in your opinion, is he serious about fighting corruption? I know there's already been some issues with his son. I believe mm. is he will he actually bring a change to the system? Do people actually think he'll bring a change to the system, or is this just talk? That's a great question. So the context of this visit is crucial. Um, there was a poll last week which showed that Bolsonaro was at 38% support. And it's the lowest amount of support that a president of only about 70 or 75 days had, I think, in, in, in uh, Brazil's democratic history, so since 1985. He had increased unemployment numbers released last week. There was news about a political murder that took place in Rio last week, which was potentially connected um, to him in a, in a very sort of tenuous way in that uh, the two gentlemen who were arrested for supposedly um, gunning down a Rio uh, city councilwoman who was Afro-Brazilian, incredibly popular, a member of the LGBTQ community, progressive, very much had an image that was nationwide in Brazil. Um, the two gentlemen live in the same condominium complex as Bolsonaro. There are pictures of, of him with one of these gentlemen on social media. He claims that as the former police officer, he was just taking a selfie with him on the campaign. Um, it's unclear how deep the connections actually run, but you know there's proximity between these between these people. And the other thing is that there are rumors that one of Bolsonaro's sons actually dated one of the daughters of one of these gentlemen who's been recently arrested for 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 this political murder. It's a bad luck. And the last thing in the in the context of this visit is is Carnival. Bolsonaro had some troubles during Carnival. He 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 sent out some some tweets that were uh, quite provocative, and in traditional Carnival style, there were a lot of roasts of Bolsonaro. There were a lot of uh, floats uh, in the parades where they were uh, taking a shot at Bolsonaro. They had a lot of caricatures there. Of course, that didn't make him uh, too happy, and so so this this trip is really uh, uh, this trip is really important in terms of um, setting the agenda and getting getting the messaging right. Now, in terms of Bolsonaro's ability to actually do something on corruption, as you mentioned already, Max, in addition to this political hit on the Rio City uh, councilwoman, there's the issue of Flavio Bolsonaro, who is the son of, of Jair. He's a, he's a newly elected senator, and he's also implicated in some potential acts of corruption. There's some money 
that's going in and out of his account, his account and the account of his driver in a very irregular manner. Uh, that money is purportedly also going through the bank accounts of the First Lady, Michelle Bolsonaro. Mm. Uh, that is, that's been completely unexplained thus far. And there are some issues that have tied Flavio Bolsonaro as a, as, as a previous city councilman from the state of Rio to these militias as well that have been implicated in, in the killing of Marieli Franco, that, that Afro-Brazilian city councilwoman. And so there's a real issue here in that Bolsonaro harnessed the anti-corruption sentiment of the Brazilian population to say, you know, I'm an outsider, I'm an anti-establishment guy, I'm going to go there and, and just crush the system, knock it down and rebuild it for you. And within two and a half months of his administration, he's already been implicated in some things that definitely give people serious question marks. It reminds me of, 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 of a passage in Machiavelli's Discourses on Livy. Let me put my political theory hat on here for a second because I am a trained political theorist at the end of the day, where he says that, you know, Brutus sacrificed his sons to because they were trying to restore a tyrannical dynasty, and he did so in the name of the Republic. And that, that's a line that, that reminds me of something that Bolsonaro might face mm-hmm. much sooner uh, rather than later. Is, you know, what does he do with Flavio if it comes out that, that there were irregular payments going in and out of bank accounts? Mm. Well, this reminds me of the godfather. Just ne- <laughs> never takes sides against the family again. Or maybe the, uh, Fredo, you broke my heart. Flavio, you broke, you broke Cher's heart. Uh, so, all right, obviously, I think he won with 55% of the vote or so to be already down to 38% approval. Not, a, not great on the anti-corruption front. But what about other policies? I know in the past he's been more seen as a more statist type figure on economic issues, but I think he hired a, a more neoliberal type advisor from train at the Chicago School, you know, the Milton Friedman free market type guys. Is he going to pursue a more neoliberal type privatizing agenda? And do you think that'll help Brazil's economy? Do you think it'll be popular? That's right. Well, you mentioned his uh, his economy minister, Paulo Guedes, who's a U Chicago trained PhD. He's saying a lot of things um, about free trade, about reducing tariffs and uh, and non-tariff barriers to trade in Brazil, um, uh, about um, making Brazil a, a, a more open uh, society, uh, because Brazil is one of the one of the most closed economies in the world, where where goods and services cost a lot of money. Uh, this has made the market very happy. They like to hear what what Gedges has to say. Um, so far, it seems as though Gedges has a pretty free reign on policy within the Bolsonaro administration. Um, he was largely in charge of putting together the most recent pension reform proposal that went before Congress. This is one of the main economic reform proposals that Bolsonaro would, will be touting in terms of the overall macro climate, something that has to happen. It's something that's taking up way too much of the, of the Brazilian budget every year. And from the sources uh, that I've spoken to, Gedges is ready to come and, and other economy uh folks are ready to come with, with uh, either a proposal for a bilateral investment deal or a full-scale FTA free trade agreement. Yeah. Um, with, and so, with the United States? With the United States. And so far, uh, therefore, that, that, that sort of speaks to the fact that, that Bolsonaro is, is sort of letting Gedges run uh, with his mandate. As you mentioned in the past, he came from this, from this military background. From 1964 to 1985, as I mentioned, Brazil had a military dictatorship. There was very much a statist model of growth during that period of time, and, and Bolsonaro is, is, is coming of age during that time. So he has some tendencies still to, to support these big state-run companies like, Pet, like Petrobras, the Brazilian state-owned oil company, and, and, and other uh, 
uh, types of, of big state-run companies. So that's definitely something to look for is whether he trends back in that direction. But thus far, it's been all Paulo Gedges. Can he, I mean, will that, sorry, will that work out though? Because I know, I mean, Macron has tried to, some free market reforms in France, and maybe France is totally different, but it seems like every time France tries some sort of market liberalization, it might be great policy, but it really pisses off a lot of people, and you get these massive protests. Is Bolsonaro going to have a similar issue with people? I mean, pension reform, to some people, sounds like a euphemism for cutting their pensions, and I imagine that would inspire a lot of popular resistance to the idea. Well, it is a it is a euphemism for pen, for cutting pensions because you know, the Brazilian pension system is is incredibly complex, but it's also incredibly generous, uh, too generous, in fact. It's it's causing the Brazilian state to go broke. Um, in some states in the Federative Republic of Brazil, they spend upwards of ninety percent of their budgets uh, servicing and doling out p- pension payments. They have no money to do politics, um, and so they're despite the unpopularity of pension reform and how difficult it is to take money away from people this is this is a, this is an existential crisis here and i think that one thing that the previous president michel temer did for all of his failings he did a very good job of laying the groundwork for pension reform as a straightforward matter of justice mm-hmm. as a straightforward matter of fairness because in some parts of society in brazil you can retire with full pension full benefits at about 55 um, and in some cases, if you're a member of the military, I believe it is, you can actually bequeath those pensions to your children. Mm-hmm. And so they can be working full time and drawing secondary benefits from a bequeathed pension. It's a pretty insane and unsustainable situation. And I think everybody recognizes as, as unpopular as it is, it needs to change. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you can't read anything about Brazil now without coming across pension reform. That seems to be the hot topic. But to switch tack a little bit, I want to talk about Venezuela Mm-hmm. And how I know Bolsonaro has been very outspoken against Maduro and Venezuela. Um, what is Brazil's interest in Venezuela, and what do they want the U.S. to do there? It's a good question. Brazil's interest in Venezuela, I would say, is twofold. First, um, it has a border with Venezuela. It has a long border with Venezuela, a largely porous and and poorly guarded border with Venezuela. It has a lot of Venezuelan refugees. That state is called Roraima State. Um, it's in the in the north of Brazil, and in the capital of that state, Boa Vista, I think there are somewhere around a hundred thousand Venezuelan refugees, and there have been some some tensions between Brazilians and 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 Venezuelan refugees there. There are a lot of communicable diseases that are coming over the border. There was a measles outbreak. There was a malaria outbreak, um, and there's the issue of trafficking. These are, as I said, largely porous borders. Security there is is very poorly enforced, and you get a lot of drug trafficking in the lawless regions of Venezuela coming over into the to the un the, the unsecured part of the the Brazilian side, and uh, eventually it filters through either to to Fortaleza in the north or to Sao Paulo in the in the south and out of the port of Santos. Um, so there's that security dimension, which is which is quite important, um, and then there's the ideological dimension for Bolsonaro. We didn't get into this, but Bolsonaro's campaign featured a lot of anti-left propaganda, basically, you know, saying that uh, the the PT, the Partido Trabalhista, the the left, the center left in Brazil, um, was sort of totally co-opted by uh, Venezuelan-style socialists. Elect my opponent, and you know, we become Venezuela. Um, that type of rhetoric, and so finding a solution to the crisis in Venezuela and being hard on Maduro. Um, very clearly and neatly fits within this ideology that Bolsonaro brought to the 
to the election. In terms of what Brazil wants the U.S. to do in Venezuela, it's largely unclear. The Brazilians want to be tough on Venezuela, but the Brazilians were also one of the ones that stopped the Bogota communique the Monday after the aid tried to go into Venezuela. I believe that was February 23rd. So February 25th would have been that Monday. There was a meeting in Bogota, and the Chileans and the Brazilians led the charge in ensuring that some of the bullet points in the communique reiterated the non-use of, in, of, of violence or, or the, 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 the non-interventionist stance, rather, of the Lima group. And so it's largely unclear what the Brazilians want the United States to do yeah. besides continue to keep up the rhetoric. Yeah, so it seems like we at least share the same sentiment that Maduro is bad. Not that this is very novel to the United States, but the anti-communist rhetoric. But beyond that, what is the state of the U.S.-Brazil relationship? Have we been allies in the past? Is there a lot of tension between us? And what are some of the other shared? President Trump always talks about putting America first. What are our shared security interests that we can work on and help develop? Like, What are Trump and Bolsonaro going to talk about, do you think? It's interesting that that you bring up America first because Bolsonaro also had a sort of Brazil first yeah. type of uh, type of rhetoric during the campaign. And if there's not a prohibition against uh, you know, using a little bit of foreign language on the on the podcast, uh, his campaign slogan was um, "Brasil acima de tudo, uh, Deus acima de todos." So Brazil above everything, God above everyone. Mm. And so it was kind of his way of, of saying America, uh, Brazil first, rather. But U.S.-Brazilian relations have been cordial for a long time, but they've never really been as deep as many people thought they could be. Um, there have always been points at which we've, we've been at loggerheads or, or small things that have kept us maybe further apart than, than these same issues have, have kept us from other countries. And so there's a lot of room to have a reapproximation between, between our two countries. I've written for the American interest that this relationship has to be based on more than friendship. Mm. I predict that there's going to be plenty of chumminess between Bolsonaro and Trump. There's going to be a lot of backslapping. There's going to be a lot of good photo ops. The two of them are probably going to get along extremely well. But there are some deep interests that are either colliding or uh, coalescing that we need to talk about. And, 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 and really, you know, the, the, the details about this trip are, are what are going to matter. Can you talk also a bit about China? I'm guessing China is investing a lot in Brazil. Lots of natural resources I'm sure that China wants. Um, is that accurate? What's Brazil's relationship with China? So China's the number one trade partner of Brazil. That happened under Lula. So that's been the case for a, for a while. Uh, Bolsonaro on the campaign trail, uh, again, sort of a la Trump, was tough on China. He said something to the extent of uh, China wants to, wants to buy what doesn't want to buy a lot in Brazil, they want to buy Brazil. Uh, something like, you know, we are we are closed for influence. Um, he even took a trip to Taiwan oh, during yeah. the campaign, um, which is provocative. Got the attention of the CCP. But nobody's tougher on China than Trump. <laughs> well, <laughs> see about that. He's he's sort of moderate. Bolsonaro, that is, he sort of moderated a lot of his his positions uh, now that he's president. Um, and it looks like, you know, for the most part, his hands are going to be tied. In, in terms of what he can do or to the extent that he can actually influence the, the Brazil-China relationship. One area to look for would be any sort of like CFIUS type of agreement. CFIUS is sort of the, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Brazil, to my knowledge, doesn't really have an independent agency like that. And this is coming right at the time where part of Bolsonaro's campaign platform was to pay down some of the country's national debt by selling off a few of its prized jewels, yeah. the state-owned companies. And so 
if the U.S. were to sort of suggest that Brazil have a reviewing agency to make sure that these um, whoever ends up acquiring these companies is legitimate and that that everything is kosher, I think that would be a, a big win for the United States, particularly with with reference to China. I think that you know the U.S. doesn't necessarily want China to be buying up a lot of these big state-run companies that Bolsonaro says he's going to put up on the market. Yeah, and I mean, it does seem like the Trump administration has been saying this, but even the Democrats, I think, agree that China is a major economic and geopolitical rival, and we probably don't want China investing a ton in Brazil and kind of bringing them under their orbit. China's Brazil's biggest trading partner right now, but is there a way, do you think, to... I imagine we would prefer to be Brazil's number one trading partner and kind of box China out. Brazil has not been very open to to FTA's free trade agreements uh, in the past. In the 90s and even into the early 2000s, the U.S. was spearheading an effort uh, on the free trade area of the Americas. And it was under Brazilian President uh, Fernando Henrique Cardoso that they that the, the Brazilians were really responsible for um, um, for stymieing that agreement in the southern hemisphere. Uh, they thought it would give the U.S. too much power, um, and their their president and their and their foreign ministry uh, were really some of the some of the biggest uh, barriers to to developing the free trade area of the Americas. Can you talk something else that's interesting to me? Is you mentioned earlier the evangelical support mm. for Bolsonaro? I know Bolsonaro. I believe Brazil recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Yeah. Um, yes, it did. Can you just talk a bit about about this? Because it's just something that I, f- I know nothing about. I feel like most people probably don't know much about. Um, seems quite interesting. Yeah, Bolsonaro himself is actually not an evangelical. He's a Catholic, um, but he relied very much on the evangelical Protestants to make up about 22% of Brazil for his election. Um, it's one of the main blocks he'll be negotiating with when he does um, any any sort of legislative action is the, the evangelical block. I believe like one out of every six legislators in, in Brasilia right now is a member of that bloc. Uh, so this is a big part of his coalition. He's actually giving um, an interview, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with Pat Robertson and the Christian Broadcasting Network when he's here. So he's sort of speaking to that crowd both back in Brazil and, and, uh, and internationally. And this is a part, of his, a part of his platform that's always sort of animated him. It, it competes, I would say, with the, with the economic reform aspect of things. Uh, and so there, there have been a lot of instances which have, which have made some people cringe, um, that have that have been playing exactly to to this base. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because I was curious about this too. I mean, I've read that Brazil's a Catholic country, but somewhere I read that they're losing about one percent of Catholics a year. But the evangelical wing is growing a lot. And in this one, there's this essay in the London Review of Books, I think, where the uh, the guy ended up saying at the end. If Bolsonaro achieves nothing else, he might be the first president of a post-Catholic Brazil. What do you think that would mean? Is that going to change politics drastically if it stops being a Catholic country and becomes more of an evangelical one? Well, I don't think the demographics are necessarily trending in that direction. Uh, still, more than half of the country is, is is Catholic, or at least nominally Catholic. But one big thing that I would highlight is, is just how organized evangelicals in Brazil are. Uh, relative to relative to the Catholics, and and I would say that you know that that probably stems from the the dictatorship period. You know, the Catholics didn't necessarily see mixing with politics to be something that you know that a Catholic would do uh, during that time. And 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 the you know the the slogan I think even during the dictatorship was something something like "Believers don't mess with politics." And now the the evangelicals are 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 operating under a different maxim, and that's uh, brothers vote for brothers. Mm. That's actually 
something that's that's explicit. Uh, there was an evangelical group that had a that had a very you know neatly written platform that they they had a bunch of their asks uh, written in, and they actually sent that off to 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 Bolsonaro. And so you know this this angle with uh, with Jerusalem, getting back to getting back to Max's question, this is something that I think Trump will push Bolsonaro on. It's something that that he'll want to know about. You know, is Brazil going to move its embassy? It's something that the Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu is very keen to do. Yeah. Uh, he attended Bolsonaro's inauguration in January. And quite importantly, he sent Israeli troops when there was a dam collapse, a massive dam collapse in Minas Gerais State in a city called Brumadinho, which killed upwards of 300 people in a, in a, in a colossal mudslide. Uh, he sent Israeli troops to help with the cleanup process. And so he's he's very much trying to 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 follow this up and, and make sure that the Brazilians do this. One of the main issues is Brazilian agribusiness. It's another coalition that Bolsonaro will have to deal with mm-hmm. in passing legislation. And Brazil has something like five billion dollars worth of meat exports that they're worried about losing to the Arab world oh. if they move their embassy to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So something that struck me, I. I pay minimal attention, really, to South American politics. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in every single American newspaper, it seemed that Bolsonaro, they were all painting Bolsonaro out as a catastrophe. And everything you, everything I read was just, he, you know, horrible on LGBTQ, horrible on minorities, horrible on the environment, horrible on free speech, horrible on this and that. So it's just, it's just so interesting to me how it's, you know, how Brazilian people actually feel about him outside of the American context. So are the concerns that Brazilians have about him, are they more pragmatic or are they more these kind of Western, you know, American views of like, we have to protect the environment, we have to more progressive views, or are they more concerned about the every single day, you know, getting my wages, living safely? I'm guessing that's what Brazilians care about. I think it's the everyday quotidian stuff. Quite importantly, you know, the evangelical base is most likely happy uh, with what with what they see out of, out of Bolsonaro, some of the rhetoric uh, about same-sex marriage, some of the rhetoric about um, supposed uh, moral depravity at, at Carnival, things like that. I think where it really matters is in that in that middle grouping of people, that, that lower middle class and middle class person who voted for Bolsonaro because they saw him as sort of untainted by this massive corruption probe, uh, a guy who could really shake up the system, just something different, something unconventional. These are people who are, you know, tellers at a bank or taxi drivers or whatever it might be. They struggle to make ends meet. And what they care about is less about, you know, global cultural Marxism and and sex education in, in classrooms and more about is the economy growing? Is Brazil becoming a more prosperous country? Uh, do I feel safer walking down the streets in Rio or do I also you know, need to have an armed guard outside of my condominium complex? Uh, these are the types of day-to-day things that affect a lot of people. And you know, Bolsonaro so far hasn't focused so much on those things and he hasn't shown an ability to really affect that much change uh, on that front. And I think that's why you see that 38% poll coming out as it did last week is people are sort of getting fed up with uh, the constant distractions. Every time they get back on message about Brazil being open for business, you have another tweet that's about a culture war issue, or you have another uh, corruption scandal with involving the sun or involving the city, this particular city councilwoman, Marielle Franco, or there's another issue of, of the PSL, Bolsonaro's party, uh, running candidates who never existed on the ballot <laughs> as, a, as a way of engaging in campaign corruption in Brazil. They're called candidatas laranjas, orange candidates, 
candidates that don't exist but yet get money from from the state. So there, there are a number of issues that keep popping up every time Bolsonaro tries to get back on message. Stop tweeting and get on message seems to be a pretty pretty popular piece. Of <laughs> all advice. around the all around the world, it <laughs> seems like it's a pretty pretty sound piece of advice. Yeah, stop <laughs> tweeting and get to work is what, <laughs> is what we say here. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, we're almost out of time. So, final question: We're recording this on Friday the fifteenth. Bolsonaro is coming to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. very soon to meet with President Trump. What do you think should be on the agenda? What should people be watching out for? Sure. I think that people should be watching for the details. Like I said, this is going to be a great photo op for for Bolsonaro. It's going to be a good photo op for Trump. Bolsonaro is going to be able to say stuff like, you know, I'm closer than any president in in Brazilian democratic history to uh, the United States. Again, it is very symbolic that he's making his first bilateral visit the United States and not historically as it was before Argentina. And so so it is very symbolic and important, but the, the devil is in the details. And Bolsonaro is coming with no fewer than eight of his ministers. People like Paulo Guedes, the, the economy minister, people like Sergio Moro, the justice minister, Ernesto Araujo, the foreign minister, even the head of the federal police is coming. Uh, and all of these ministers are going to fan out across Washington, and they have the ability to also uh, negotiate their own side deals. So I think a number of things to watch for, trade. There's the, the free trade agreement, which, which may or may not be proposed, or any sort of uh, bilateral investment treaty. Again, Brazil's a very close society, so they need foreign and direct investment, and, and they could really benefit from more interaction with the United States. The second issue is security. We didn't get into it too much, but there's a lot of trafficking in Brazil. It's the, it's the largest uh, shipper of cocaine in the southern hemisphere. It's got those two ports, as I mentioned before, which are, which are mostly shipping to, uh, to Europe and to Africa. So Brazil has massive borders. They're mostly porous. They're mostly in really, really rural areas. They're mostly in the middle of the Amazon. They might ask for some security help, either in the in the form of, of technology or in the form of, of manpower. They might actually also offer uh, ask for NATO partnership, a la Colombia, uh, so to be a sort of key strategic partner uh, of NATO. Another thing that the Brazilians want is OECD membership. They think that the United States is sort of their main barrier to OECD membership, and they're actually now the most active non-member of OECD. So accession to the OECD is something that Brazil has aspired to for a long time, and it would be a huge stamp of approval for them. Aerospace and defense, there's a number of safeguard agreements that we could negotiate with this base called Alcantara in the north. Um, it's right on the equator, and so it's a good spot to be launching satellites. Yeah. It's another thing that we could we could negotiate. But in terms of what Trump cares about, and here's the rub, Venezuela, China, and Israel. I think those are going to be some of the some of the main things that the two presidents discuss, and most likely the rest of this nitty gritty that I mentioned will be discussed by the ministers as they fan out across the city. Well, you've given us a lot to look for, and I'm sure you'll be writing about this after it happens. So I encourage you all to check it out at AEI.org, check for his work. Until then, Ryan Berg, thank you so much for coming on Banter. Thanks very much for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. And as always, thank you all for listening. If you're not already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the podcast player of your choice. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star rating and review. Max, what'd you think of that conversation? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting. And I think that Bolsonaro could be quite an important figure over the coming years um, in Latin America. And, you know, on the one hand, he's been so widely reviled um, in the Western media, oftentimes for good reason. He said a lot of very questionable and disgusting things, really. But on the other hand, Brazil has a lot of significant challenges, many of which are the making of Brazil's politicians. Um, So hopefully Bolsonaro is going to change 
Brazil for the better and not for the worse, and hopefully America will help him in doing that. Yeah, I mean, and as we said, the media coverage has been pretty negative toward him, but the Wall Street Journal did put together this pretty good video where they interviewed a lot of Bolsonaro's female supporters. So it's pretty easy to forget just how well he did among a pretty wide swath of Brazilian society. Only among people aged 18 to 24 did he fail to win a majority of women's votes. He did well in every major city. He did well across basically all income groups. But as we said, he's already down to 38% approval. So it's been a pretty rocky start. Yeah, well, when you put it in context, though, years of recession, corruption, you know, these huge corruption scandals. Um, it's no wonder people are fed up. But you just have to hope that he's going to make changes for the better and not for the worse. So. All right, we'll have to have Ryan back on sometime soon to check back in with how he's doing. Until then, thank you for listening to Banter, and we'll see you next week. Max, what'd you think of that? Did <laughs> <laughs> you see Bruce Almighty when uh, he makes Steve Carell go like, I feel like that sometimes. I haven't seen a movie in like 15 years. But it's, yeah. I, 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 I think that's a great movie. Pretty good message. Better than Evan Almighty. Be the miracle. I never saw Evan Almighty.